In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, how to hack a car. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we'll be exploring how to hack a car. Joining me today to help answer this question is Brandon Wilson, software developer and tinkerer. Brandon, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic, especially now that I've got you on. Uh, I went and saw your talk back in May at Besides Knoxville, uh, where you kind of went through your own experiences with with hacking hacking your car. Um, so, is that what got you started into that, or like was there some lead up to that? Like, what 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 got you into car hacking? Uh, yeah, no no lead up. I knew absolutely nothing about car hacking before uh, before I needed to do that talk. Uh, the reason why I got into it is I needed to actually fix my own car. <laughs> uh, I used to drive a, a 97 uh, Chevrolet Cavalier uh, manual transmission, 315,000 miles on it. <laughs> and uh, one day it just wouldn't turn on. It wouldn't stay on. Uh, I turned the key and it would turn over and start. But then a second later, it would just die. And I'd have a, a little red security light on my, on my dash. So uh, I wasn't really sure what to do about that. I, I uh, eventually got to replacing every component I could, even the uh, PCM, which is the uh, powertrain control module. That's the like the main computer in the car. And it still wouldn't start. So eventually I figured out that uh, once the anti-theft system, once I figured out that the anti-theft system is implemented in that PCM and the PCM runs code that can be upgraded or changed, I thought, well, I'll just hack it to disable that functionality. I'll just take that out and then my car will start again. So was this just something that like something faulty that happened in your anti-theft system or... Yeah, as I, as I understand it, this particular model car, the uh, the wiring tends to go bad over time. That's actually the main reason people stop driving this car is the wire. For whatever, for whatever reason, the wiring will just uh, will just give out and you'll get random failures. And uh, in my case, the uh, anti-theft system wasn't getting what it needed uh, as you turned the key. So it uh, while it would start up, the computer would just kill it right afterward. Yeah, this kind of actually reminds me of something that happened with my car because someone put in like an aftermarket uh security system you know the one where it has like the teeth and it's like a connector that you shove in and then you pull out whenever you leave the car and it won't start unless you have that like key pushed in there mm-hmm. um i didn't have to like hack software or anything i, I just actually <laughs> had to like bypass that and like reconnect the wires back up and like i essentially went at like outside the aftermarket which Probably neither here nor there in this form of interview. That's um, actually one of the. It's actually one of the things I did is uh, there are ways that you can bypass the anti-theft system, and mm-hmm. at least in this car, you would uh, you would attach a resistor to uh, some certain wires in it, and instead of uh, relying on the resistance that you, that it gets when you turn the key, and that's how you would normally bypass that system. And I tried that, and it still wouldn't work. So oh, whatever. Yeah. So, so it's something in the wiring between that. Uh, all the way to the computer wasn't getting to where it needed to be. So my only conclusion was that it was something in the wiring and all I could do was just take out the attempt to even acquire it. And so is this the only car you've, you've ever hacked or have you like gone on to like get more, more involved in some of this car hacking stuff? It's the only car I've ever hacked. It's the only, uh, it's the only time I ever thought I would need to hack a car. <laughs> uh, obviously, if you've seen that talk, you know that it was not successful. I didn't actually, uh, wasn't actually able to fix it. I did accomplish a lot with it, but I, I wasn't able to fix it. So I ended up buying another car and um, 
it's a, it's a brand new car and I have not tried to hack it yet, but I'm, I'm always up to it. <laughs> Sitting there just, just staring at you, yeah. begging you, hack me, hack me. <laughs> Every time I get in, I see that OBD, OBD2 port and I think, oh, I need to get on it someday. <laughs> So and, and that's interesting because at the beginning of your talk, you talked about uh, you gave the warning, don't hack your car that you're driving. But this seemed like a, a scenario in which you had pretty much no other choice. Yeah, I, I, I don't recommend doing what I do, <laughs> generally speaking. But uh, I was desperate. I did. I had an emotional attachment to the car. I'd had that car over 10 years and uh, I really, really wanted to keep it keep it going. So uh, in that case, I. I figured it was a pretty safe, pretty safe thing to do. But if it were, if it were something more serious, I'd have to give it a second thought. Do I really want to keep driving this thing, even if I didn't fix it? Yeah. So, what resources were available for you uh, starting to to you know hack into this car? Uh, none. Uh, <laughs> I I'm sure there's information out there, but you know, going into it, I not only did I not know, not know how to hack a car, I didn't know how to fix a car, I didn't know how to do anything with it. So I had to I had to look into know what could even be wrong with it and then get into uh, uh, what could I do to this PCM and I didn't even know where the PCM was it, I actually had to look up uh, I had to look up all sorts of manuals as I tried to find out where it was <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing I didn't even know where it was but eventually I did find it and I took it apart and uh, I took a look at what was inside and I saw a flash chip that probably contained the firmware on it and I, and I googled uh, I googled about this type of uh, uh, the PCM in this type of car to see um, you know, what could be done with it? Where would the firmware be stored? And from what I can tell from online forums uh, that uh, it was accessible and that you can extract it and that you can get at the firmware and that you can change it. And so that's what I, that's what I did. I took it apart. I, uh, I desoldered the chip from it. Uh, I dumped that firmware and I started studying it, trying to find where that any that feature was. Because uh, what a lot of people do is they will take this uh, PCM out, or they'll just simply flash it over the OBD2 port, the diagnostic port that all cars after 97, 96 have, and uh, and uh, basically turn on and off certain features. And this anti-theft flag actually is one of the flags, or one of the features that people want to turn on. Like when the, like, like if people want to transplant the engine you know, out of that car and put it in the body of another car, you'd have to disable that because it's dependent on uh, the... Uh, the front dash and as well as other things is dependent on all that matching. And if it doesn't match, you know, it's not going to start. So that that's a, that's a legitimate reason you'd want to turn that off. So I knew there was a legitimate reason for turning it off. And I figured if they can do it, surely I can find a way to do it. Yeah. And, and, and listen to you talk about this. I mean, we, we, we've more recently heard more and more about, um, car hacking, uh, you know, particularly with the with more and more software and more and more stuff going into it. But it sounds like a lot of that, like there's a lot of software and hardware, already involved uh, even in these late 90 vehicles yeah um the pcm is you know it started out really really simple there uh, i i've seen online where people uh will hack their pcms from from much older cars late late 80s early 90s and they were much simpler and right around obd2 in 96 is when they started to get a lot more complicated and and today they're um, i can't even imagine how complicated they are I've, I've yet to even look into a, a more modern car but I, I was dealing with something uh, that came out right around when OBD2 came out. So, uh, and I, and something else I noticed is that a lot of the processors used in these PCMs, uh, a lot of times it's exactly the same processor. It's exactly the same uh, same processor and very similar firmware. 
And uh, so starting from 96 onward, they started to use what's called a Motorola 68K processor. And I figured that, uh, you know, if, if I could find out how other people had hacked uh, PCMs with that processor, it wouldn't be so hard to do it with mine. And I, and I noticed that a lot of people online had hacked a lot of different cars or, or tuned what they call tuning a lot of different cars, but none of them had touched a 97 Cavalier. So in that respect, I was kind of on my own. I kind of had to figure out uh, what they did with their own cars and then hopefully try to apply it to mine. Yeah. What, what was that group called that, that you said you found that like car tinkerers or something or car tuners? Yeah, they call themselves tuners. Uh, a lot of times they will want to tweak engine performance on their cars. And the way they can do that is by making minor tweaks uh, in the PCM firmware. The firmware contains a lot of uh, a lot of configuration flags for enabling and disabling certain things like the Sandy Theft system. And they also have a lot of uh, performance tables to uh, to change how the engine behaves, you know, when you rev it up and, and in certain scenarios. And uh, that's, that wasn't something I cared about, but uh, that's the primary motivation for people who, who want to get into that kind of thing. Yeah, was it was it? And so, is this like a community, or is this a single form, or like how big is are, are these tuners? From what I can gather, it's a it's not a big community, but uh, there are several there are several different sites out there, uh, all, all with their own forums, and they all they all kind of have the same people, and they all communicate with each other. Uh, from what I gather, they whenever they're uh, picking a particular card that they want to tune, they have to take the firmware and disassemble it and find all these flags in it, and that's a, a skill that not a whole lot of people have or, or would spend their time trying to develop. Mm -hmm. So there's a very small group of people that can actually find uh, these things in the firmware. And I was hoping that I might, might get to be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and even in your talk, it was like, I, I have this printout here. I don't know if it's the actual printout or not. In the talk, I, I had, uh, I had shown several different dumps uh, of the, uh, the, the, the code disassembled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it was really quite a quite a uh, quite an adventure trying to understand the disassembly of it. There's there's not a lot of information on, on how that firmware actually works or, or even what the PCM does. So you know it's hard to it's hard to dis it's hard to disassemble something when you don't even really know what it's doing. And uh, that was one of my problems. Is you know yeah I mean I could pull out the firmware in a disassembler and look at it, but I have no idea what it's doing. It, it would take me years to understand what it's really doing. And so part of what the talk was about was, you know, if I can't figure that out, if I can't figure it out just by reading it, which, you know, is typical when you're just assembling something, you can figure it out just by looking at it or, or looking for for uh, strings or magic numbers or what have you. I had nothing like that. So what I had to end up doing was I uh, created a, a simulator for that system. I knew the processor that was in it, and I had the basics of a memory map for it, but I didn't know... Uh, I didn't know any of the details, and so what I ended up doing is creating. I ended up creating a simulator that could kind of "quote unquote" execute the firmware, so that I could see the code paths it was taking, what it was doing, why it was doing it, uh, the hardware that it was interacting with, and I, and I and part of that was looking at the board and seeing what uh, what chips are on it, uh, what different uh, chips on that board would be doing, and I, and I found that one uh, actually is responsible for doing all the communication over that OBD2 diagnostic port. And so I started digging into the firmware to see uh, how it interacted with that hardware. And what I found was that there is code to handle all these different OBD2 requests that you get from a code reader. Uh, there's code to handle all those different types of requests. And uh, a lot of the commands that you can send over that can actually retrieve information 
about the car and how it's performing and, and uh, its features that are enabled, disabled, and, you know, and so on. So it was it kind of formed a roadmap for how to understand the firmware. If I could see how how that code was responding to all these different requests, all I have to do is look at the code that handles a particular uh, command, and then I would know uh, I would learn something about the about the firmware. That's what I ended up doing in order to in order to find what I was looking for that anti theft uh, configuration flag. So that, that's kind of I mean that's that's kind of basic pen testing almost, and 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 that you're mapping out uh, what's what 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 the thing is doing, like what the car is doing, and and the software and the firmware. Yeah, it's it's very much uh, trial and error. It's uh, you know it's typical disassembly and just trying to understand what what is it that you're looking at. I mean, you can look at the code, but understanding why it's doing what it's doing is a whole different matter. And uh, every every project has its own. Uh, has its own uh, oddities that you have to deal with, and this one certainly had them. Is there a skill that you felt really helped you in in, in performing uh, this car hacking? Yes, it's uh, you know it's really it's really embedded device uh, hacking more than anything. You know, it's kind of a there's kind of a, a perception that car hacking is is really really hard. You know, it's really not. It's really not any different than any other embedded device. What what's hard is that people don't they don't uh, have access to a car that they can that they can potentially brick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a big deal. And, and I found myself in a unique position where I had a car that wasn't working. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to buy a new car anyway. So and I have and not only that, but I have a spare PCM. I have a spare computer that uh, that I can mess with because that's one of the components I tried to replace. And so I got a spare computer that I can try to change the code on. I have a car that is not drivable. I mean, why not? Why not get into it? But um, to answer your question about uh, previous skills, uh, ever since high school, I've been uh, I've been reverse engineering how uh, the operating systems and Texas Instruments graphing calculators work, and so uh, I developed an awful lot of experience in reverse engineering and disassembling uh, code through those devices. You know, they're relatively simple devices, but uh, and they're running and they're using very very old processors that are easy to understand. But uh, they have their own problems, they, and they have their own security uh, to uh, prevent uh, people from overriding the OS and that kind of thing. So you have to develop exploits and look for vulnerabilities and, and, and that kind of thing. So uh, that I'd say that more than anything helped me to understand um, how I could attack this thing. And, and even further, the, uh, the processor in these cars, or at least in this, uh, this era of cars, that Motorola 68K processor, that's actually the same processor that you see in old Macs. And the uh, Sega Genesis game console, and actually some some TI graphing calculators. So, it was a processor I had I had had some experience with. So, uh, it was probably not as hard as it as it could have been because I, I had had experience with that processor before. So, was this more like hardware hacking or software or firmware, or was it just a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything, you know. In this particular situation, I, I actually had to desolder the chip that held the firmware in the PCM. And I am not a hardware guy. I was actually extremely lucky I did that without damaging the chip. Uh, and, but I did that in order to get at the firmware, to get at the code. And so really, it's a software problem. It's it's trying to find what I'm looking for in that code and just making a simple patch to it and then uh, flashing it back to that chip. It wouldn't be a software if they had the correct wiring <laughs> or better <laughs> wiring, <laughs> which is a hardware problem. Exactly. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> How it's all interconnected. Um, how long did this this project last for you? Uh, many, many months. 
Um, once I had gotten to the point where I just, where I realized that what this is going to be a this is going to be a embedded security issue or an embedded device uh, issue is is trying to understand this firmware and changing something in it. Uh, I focused on that for quite a while. Uh, you know, if you watch the talk, I, I ended up uh, creating a whole simulator for this device. And, you know, there is no simulator for this device. There are there are simulators for that processor because there are, you know, game emulators, Sega Genesis emulators and things like that, but nothing for this particular hardware. There's very few people that understand this hardware, and you could argue I still don't understand it. <laughs> but, um, but I got enough of it emulated or uh, simulated so that I could... Uh, load the firmware not only from my own car but from other cars and and get to a point where I could see the similarities between the two and if I knew where the feature was in a similar car which I which I did that was that was available online through those forums and uh, files that you can download for other cars I figured I could find it in, in my own as well so what what tools did you end up using for this project uh, once I got to the point that it was just disassembling the firmware. Uh, the, I primarily just use IDA Pro, which is the, at least on Windows, is the disassembly to use for anything, for any processor. And before I got to that point, I needed to um, dump that chips. Uh, I have a fairly decent soldering station. Um, it, it has more features than, than I know how to, how to use. <laughs> I'm not much of a hardware person. I, I, I know the basics, I, I can solder things together. And sometimes I can desolder things. So in this case, I was lucky. I was I was able to desolder that chip. Uh, so I used that um, to actually uh, actually physically remove the chip. And I also have uh, a very old uh, EEPROM programmer that you can insert chips into and uh, flash uh, new code to them or uh, dump them. And so I used uh, I used that to actually dump it. And then once I was able to dump it to a computer, at that point I, I used uh, IDA Pro to uh, disassemble it and, and go from there. And at that point, once I once I had a once I had a firmware dump, I had to then uh, figure out how I was going to interpret it. And that's when I started uh, writing that simulator for it. So I also imagine for, from the car, uh, the actual physical side of it, you need like good screwdrivers and just a normal set of uh, things to pop all that out, right? Yeah. Yeah, my uh, the car is actually in my uh, parents' garage, and they have every tool known to man. So I, <laughs> I had, uh, you know, I had the basics in order to uh, get the uh, the front dash apart uh, to to uh, confirm the wiring from the key all the way to the PCM, and then actually remove the PCM. I actually had to take the horn off to get to the to get to the PCM. Oh wow! But once I, get, but once I got to it, yeah, uh, it was just uh, just held together with screws, take it apart, and uh, there's the board. At that point. You, you uh, start uh, studying how it works. So is this is this? So when you go back to testing it, do you like have to like how does that go? Like pl- like trying it out. That was one of the main problems uh, <laughs> with with the project and what I was doing. And uh, I, I go into it in the talk. Uh, the problem is, even if I know what to change, I would have to physically flash the chip in that programmer, and I'd have to take it out of the programmer and re-solder it back into the board and then put the computer back in the car. So that's an awful lot of soldering, an awful lot of work just to attempt it one time, which is what I ended up doing. And that's the primary reason why it failed is because I didn't have a way that I could uh, test those changes over and over again. And if I could do the, if I could do it over again, that's what I would do. I would look into how to flash it over the OBD2 port. And I was in a unique situation because my car is a GM car and GM cars in particular 
uh, I discovered are it, it are very difficult to flash over the OBD2 port. They actually have a special tool. It's called a Tech2 uh, tool that you use to flash the firmware to the PCM. And it uses some sort of obfuscation or some sort of protocol that's not well understood or well publicized uh, to lock the PCM. So you have to unlock it before you can actually flash firmware to it. And since I didn't have I didn't have the Tech2 device because it's very expensive, and I didn't have any knowledge on how to flash it over the over the OBD2 port, that's why I had to physically get into it and remove the chip. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that's a that's a case you get a one shot deal. But it yeah. sounds like you learned a lot from it. So, yeah, and I, I have I have the full dump of the firmware. So the whole locking unlocking mechanism is theoretically in there. So if I you know if I wanted to spend more time and, and look into it, I would find out what you have to send to it in order to unlock it. So uh, I I learned a lot about how. Uh, how all that works, and I, I have what I need to look into it further so that if I wanted to keep uh, trying to flash it over the OBD2 port instead of physically trying to remove it, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. So it was an opening to learning a lot more about it. I did end up destroying that one PCM, but uh, I still have the other one. So I could put that in the car uh, and communicate over that OBD2 port. And I have a firmware dump from it, so I know um, what it is expecting in order to unlock it. Or at least I have what I would need in order to figure it out. So what ended up happening to the car? It is still in my parents' garage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're real happy about that. They are not exactly thrilled with it, but uh, they know uh, the effort that went into trying to fix it. And they know um, what I was able to learn from it. So uh, as long as it's not getting in their way too much, I, I think they're going to keep it around until I finally tell them, look, uh, I, I give up. You can, you can junk it. Take it away. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Okay. So, are you, so you're still actively messing around with it? I wouldn't say actively messing around with it, but it's on my list of, uh, of things to, to come back to as gotcha. long as it's still there. You know, I told them, look, if it's in your way and you have to get rid of it, go ahead. But as long as it's still there, it's going to remain on my list. <laughs> <laughs> come on, we'll take it a little bit. Yeah. No, that's awesome. All right. So what resources do you recommend for learning more about car hacking? Um, when I first started it, I hadn't done, I hadn't read any talks or, or seen any talks or read no literature at all about it. So I would recommend looking at other people's talks, uh, the basics of, uh, how to communicate with the components in the car, uh, and how they went about getting into it. So, uh, that's where I would start. And it depends, you know, it really depends on what it is you're trying to do. Like, uh, what I was trying to do was trying to disable that one feature, which is something that uh, tuners want to do when they move an engine from you know one body, one car body to another. So there's a semi-legitimate use there. So I couldn't find anything just by Googling, you know, how do I disable any theft in my 97 Cavalier? But if I started Googling, you know, how can I transplant the engine from one car to another, then I could get more, I could get more results. So, you know, try to look into um, why people would legitimately want to get into it and uh, go from there. That's a that's actually a really great bit of advice and probably a different angle that a lot of people, like you said, wouldn't think about initially. So that's 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 awesome. Anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? Maybe just reiterate the message uh, from that besides Knoxville talk, which is that uh, you shouldn't be afraid to tackle something new to you or something that scares you. I mean, car hacking is it has a reputation as being kind of a scary thing. You know, you can remotely disable uh, people's engines while they're on the highway and that kind of thing, but um, 
you know, it's it's like any other, it's like hacking any other embedded device. It's it's just a network of devices that are all talking to each other. And if you can compromise one, then you can compromise the next and so on and so forth. So it's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, and if you if you have something that you're trying to do, like in my case, I was trying to fix my car. You have something you're trying to do to it. Uh, keep at it. Stay motivated, and uh, you will eventually get there. You know, I, I spent you know, months and months and months just trying to uh, reverse engineer the firmware and, and writing that simulator for it. And so I, I went to just an absolutely insane amount of effort just to fix a car that's you know, probably not going to last, not last, not last that much longer anyway. But, <laughs> um, but it was, I was motivated. It was something I wanted to do. And I think that there um, are a lot of people out there who want to do the same. So stick with it would be my message. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great bit of advice. All right. Well, what would you like to plug? I suppose just this talk, uh, you know, if the technical details interest you, uh, check out the, the talk on YouTube. It's called Saving My Car by Hacking It. And uh, you never know, you might learn something or at least be entertained by it. I, I hope it was entertaining to the people who were there and uh, who watch it. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you have a website and Twitter account? Yes, the website is brandonw.net. And on Twitter, it is at Brandon L. Wilson. Awesome. Well, uh, Brandon, thank you for joining me to discuss how to hack a car. Sure thing. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.